Um, if you would right now turn to someone and um, uh, share with each other what is the biblical definition of a fool. Go. <laughs> Okay, just wanted to make sure that that, uh, that, that thought uh, stays there, because uh, I, I want to do a little disclaimer here. We're coming to the third part of this, which is this addressing of what it looks like to go to God. And it is possible to be a religious fool. We got lots of religious fools. Um, people who um, trust themselves but are religious. It was one of those things seeing in Kenya that uh, what we've done with evangelism, telling people they need to pray a prayer, what had happened in Kenya is people thought it was magic. If I pray this prayer, I'm not going to hell, I'll be in heaven. And I used to say, you know, there's, these, there's a bird in East Africa called the gray parrot that is a great uh, bird at parroting. And we had one in our neighborhood. And uh, it, could, it could actually parrot the sound of the phone ringing. And that stupid bird would go off and six houses would all run to their phones to see if, 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 something, if somebody was calling. And I could have trained that bird to say, Jesus, come into my heart. And would that have made it a Christian bird? <laughs> you know, the, 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 the thing is, is that if it's about my prayer and I did everything right, then who are you trusting? Yourself. You're not trusting Jesus. You're trusting that I got it all right. And therefore, I'm okay with God because I got it right. Folks, when we start to deal with this thing about dealing with our pain, it doesn't get tied up in neat packages and go, oh wow, there's 14 hops to happiness here. And if you just follow these 14 hops, then everything will be, no, this isn't this thing. This is why we're called to walk in faith with Christ. And um, it is... Um, it is not going to be neatly tied up and all finished. So I want to give that disclaimer because what I don't want to see is come away with is, oh, well, John showed me the eight things to do, and once I do these, then everything will be fine. Um, no, we're going to look at some things the Lord has said and then wrestle with how does God heal us. Okay, so uh, let's go to the uh, review that... People before under God, we sin against each other, we fail to love each other. Um, by the way, all pain, uh, all of our pain doesn't always come from a failure of love, by the way. Uh, we will experience pain in a fallen world and a myriad of other ways that no one sinned against us. Like death, when someone dies, we experience pain. So you're going to get pain uh, either from people sinning against you or just the regular flow of, of life. But all of us face a decision point when we're faced with our guilt or our pain, and that is, what are we going to do with it? Are we going to be fools, and we will deal with it on our own? And so we talked about last night the ways in which uh, you can spot someone dealing with their pain uh, on their terms. 
Uh, we are being foolish. We are trusting ourselves with the denial, the shame, the contempt, the revenge, the rage, or the medication. That's how, th those are all examples of me dealing with my pain on my terms. So today, what does it look like to take our pain to God? And um, this is one of those um, areas that it doesn't always seem logical that this is what you do. Yet, when you look around, you see it. Again, I am a big proponent that what we see in the physical realm is actually illustration of what is going on spiritually. So, I want to paint a picture that many of you have probably experienced or you've at least seen. And that is, as a parent, you have a child. And your little one, like Jack, I love Jack. Jack is so enthusiastic and having such a great time. So Jack's running around outside, having a great time, and he runs and trips over a rock and face plants himself into some roots and stones, and he bruises himself or cuts himself. What is the first thing Jack is going to do? He's going to cry. Folks, the first thing that God expects or wants or longs that we would do when we hurt is cry. You know, the Bible has a lot of verses about crying to God. And I've read the Bible a few times, and I've never once found the verse where God shakes his finger at people for crying. I'm such a, uh, a uh, an, an interesting dad. I have two sons. Uh, God didn't trust me with a girl, so he made <laughs> boys. And um, my boys growing up in Kenya were typical boys. They were out doing stuff. And my brother-in-law pointed this out to me once. He said, you know, when your boys go out and they crash on their bicycle and they're crying, they come to you. And what I've observed, John, is when they come to you, you ask them, what happened? And they then explained, Dad, I was riding the bike and I was trying to jump on this thing and it crashed. And John, what you'll do is explain to them how they can avoid having that happen again. And my brother-in-law said, do you think your boys came to you for advice? <laughs> Duh. No. They're not there for advice. Why is kids cry out? Because it hurts. When we are in pain, one of the things that God says is cry out. Call out to me. Now Jack will start crying, and then what will be the next thing that Jack will do? He'll get up and do what? He comes looking for somebody. He's probably got an order of people that he wants to go see. <laughs> and um, Mama is probably number one on, on the list. Grandma is probably number two, because he's already learned Dad's going to give him advice. <laughs> and he's going, I'm not going to Dad. I'm going to go to somebody because he is in search of what? Comfort. 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 
it is so interesting that this is built into all of us, that when we hurt, we cry. And we then go in search of comfort. So what I'm going to say is, is that in our pain, what God wants us first to do is to cry. Is to allow ourselves to actually feel the pain. Now here comes a worldview thing. Is pain good or bad? And we all intellectually can probably say yes and whatever, but you know the intellect isn't the heart. And in our heart of on our heart of hearts, what is our view of pain? We hate it. We hate it. We think nothing good comes to pain. We think there is no life in pain. And so really what we're about is we want to avoid pain. And it's the old weightlifters thing. There's no pain. There's no gain. If, 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 you're, if you're lifting and it isn't hurting, you're not gaining anything at all. Well, you take that in the physical realm and you go, by the way, just in my relationships and stuff, if there is no pain, is there any gain out of this? See, one of the things why we head south with this thing rather than come to God is when we come to pain, it's Lewis's thing, it, it convinces us we're not in control. And we hate not being in control. Because we're fools. We trust ourselves. I've got to be in control. So what we do is, so what am I going to do with the pain? So I'm going to go these ways. But really what we don't want to do is feel the pain. We don't want to feel it. And yes, we might cry. But we're not crying in a thing to go, I am crying because I hurt. This thing hurts. And I want to sit in that pain. Question, are you sitting in it alone? Kids all the time tell me at school, you know, we can get in a car and go up to North Campbell and we'll sit there and overlook the lights and nobody's watching. And I go, that's a lie. Because you're not alone. But again, that's one of the things Satan wants to convince us. See, you're alone. There's nobody. Nobody who understands Nobody's there for you. You're, and what we don't do is stop and sit there and go, God, how do I meet you here? So we don't want to be in it. We don't want to feel it. So we don't cry. And so let's, um, Rich, if you would, let's, let's throw some of these. So first thing is cry out. And this is not something that is easy to do because we have so patterned our, our, our approach to things in the past that we don't cry. This is America. Big girls don't cry. That's what the song said. And we certainly have told all of the guys, you're not allowed to cry. So nobody should cry out because crying out is a sign of weakness. 
as if weakness is a problem. We are weak. We cry out because we are in need. It hurts. And to admit that is huge. Why won't we admit it to each other? Well, because pretense. We're, we're not supposed to be needy. We're Americans. And so crying out is something God calls and tells us. Cry out. Mike, can you think of any verses where God... And I know I'm putting you on the spot. I didn't prep you on this, but... Yeah, well, in, in Psalms, particularly David talks often about crying out and, and <coughs> Psalm 56 we were talking about that in our group and and, um, and it seems like when we cry out that's his entry into the thing but Psalm 46 Psalm 56 are a couple places excellent and then Jeremiah he said he told Jeremiah call, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you don't know call cry out that's see, Jeremiah 33. See, part, part of our problem is we don't think God cares about what's going on. I don't think it's, I, I, I don't think we really take 2 Corinthians 1 and we, we, we don't see God as the Father of, of all comfort, a God of all compassion. Does God weep when we weep? Or is he like me? I'm here to give you advice. This is what you need in the midst of your pain. You need advice. Open up your Bible, get the advice, and get on with your life. It's a wrong view of God. God's heart breaks. And what we go through. Do you think his heart broke over what Jesus went through? But that's not a view of God. And if we don't have that view of God, we're certainly not going to cry out to Him. As, it, 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 you know, what good is that going to do to cry out? And that's, again, Satan has lied to us, said it, it, that doesn't do anything. You're, you're not a comfort. And it'd be like trying to tell Jack, Jack, stop crying, Jack. There's nothing to cry about. You're bleeding and you hurt, uh, but that's nothing to cry about. Stop. And by the way, there are bad parents who do that to their kids. Tell them to not do that. So, crying out, second, is, just like Jack, we need to allow ourselves to feel, this is what's happening when you're crying, going, this hurts. This hurts. This is a difficult concept. To allow yourself to hurt is a really hard thing to do. It's sort of like, you know, being the living sacrifice. We want to call off that altar really quick. That's the problem with living sacrifices. They don't want to sit on the altar. Let's get off. And this is God's invitation to us to sit in it. You know, we, we read all these verses in the New Testament about the fact that we get to share in the sufferings of Christ. 
<laughs> and we go, you know, but see, this is America, and we don't get persecuted for our faith. Or every once in a while, you know, on the radio call-in program, some somebody will call you names, and we go, oh, good, I'm getting to suffer for, you know, for the cause of Christ. And it's like, that's not the suffering that he's talking about. That is part of that when you live in a society where you are persecuted for it. But in life, we suffer. As Christ suffered. And Christ did not run away from it. He drank the cup. He says that to his disciples. Are you guys able to drink the cup that I drank? And we get that opportunity. Wow. I get to know God's heart. Um, could I ask that we not record this next section? Can you pause it? Is, is, is that possible? I'm going to tell you a story, but I don't, I don't really want it to be public. Um, and, and I ask you, if you would, to, uh, uh, this is something you can yell at me. It is in City in the Pain that we discover the heart of God. Do you want to know Him? Do you want to know what makes God weep? What causes God great pain? By the way, this is God's invitation to us to meet Him in our pain. And it's hard to do. It's hard to sit there. And it's hard to sit there and not say, I'm going to solve it, I'm going to get it out of the way, I'm not going to deal with it. To allow myself to sit in it is huge. Having sat in your pain and cried out, what you're doing, the next thing is this, and that is, God, who, who is this? Is that uh, sorry, that, before that one. You sit in the pain and you let God minister to you. Here's the comfort. God, I hurt. I can't do anything with this pain. Will you minister to me? And this is where I see the example of Jesus in the Gospels. With the people who came to him seeking help. I love Mark too. You have the guy that has... Um, the skin disease. Uh, oh, leprosy, thank you. The guy has leprosy. He's by himself. And he comes to Jesus. And he kneels down in front of Jesus. And he says, Lord, if you are willing, you, will, you can cleanse me. And that phrase unpacks into some amazing thoughts. I can see this guy before he goes to Jesus going, I've heard that Jesus heals people. And I've heard testimony of that. But would he want to heal me? Would he do that for me? I don't know. Because what if I go to him and he says, no. Well, that's scary. And many of us go, I'm afraid he might say no, so I'm never going to ask. 
But this guy summons his courage, falls down before Jesus and says, Lord, if you're willing, you can cleanse, cleanse me. He put all of the onus where it needed to be on Christ. Because he's the one who has the power to do something about this. The guy with leprosy has no power. And so his cry to him is that, would you, would you be willing to do that? And that's what I see related to our cry to God. God, this pain is something I can't deal with. Only you can. And I don't know how you do it. I don't see the guy saying, no, Lord, I'd like to understand the specifics so that when you do this or touch this, what biologically is happening? Tell me about how that's going to come out before you do it. It wasn't that way. It's God, you alone have the power to heal. I don't know how you do it. Would you comfort? in my pain. See, little Jack runs to mom, and he's running to mom, and he goes, Mom, I'm hurting. And mom grabs him up and holds him. And this Cameron was praying, you know, we don't get this experience of God putting his arms around us and holding us. But that's from a worldview that says that's the most important part of it. Is God capable of putting his arms around your heart and comforting you in ways that you can't even fathom? I don't think the guy with leprosy could fathom how God could heal him of it. Is God capable? So he declares. He's the father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. So, do I sit in it and allow God to minister to me? And this is, again, one of those things to learn and say, God, I'm hurting. I ask you, would you comfort me in my pain? And then wait and sit and allow God to comfort you. Now, by the way, this is not going to be one of those things, ah, you've been comforted, now everything's okay, and you can move forward, and nothing else in the world will ever be a problem. I pretty well guarantee you'll probably have to come back to God on that. Because little kids do that. You know, they fall and they hurt, and then they, you know, then mom hugs them and does what it's, it, this is what's so funny, I love moms. Moms will grab the kid and hold them and say, what happened? And the kid, well, mom, I was running along and it fell. <laughs> mom says, you got boo boo? Yeah, I got it. I got it. I need mom. You'll pull it up, mom, so let me see it. And you'll pull it up and see mom, and it's right there. And then mom will do one of the most clinically important things known to me in life. She'll put her lips on that kiss and introduce a billion new germs to infect it. <laughs> <laughs> Mom's kissing it does magic. The kid goes, oh, 
I feel better already. <laughs> and then the kid would jump out of the arms and go run off. And about 10 minutes later, realized that the thing still hurts. I'm going back for more of that. And then get back to mom and say, mom, it still hurt me, mom. Would you do that again? And kids do that. We're God's kids. We can come to him any number of times over our pain. And he never scolds us for it. Never shames us. Never says, hey, I've dealt with that enough times now, buddy. It's time you get on with your life. He doesn't do that. Because he's a God of all compassion. So, sitting in the pain and allowing God to minister to it. This then moves me to the next step. And this is the important one. Um, let's go on. Now we move into forgiveness. See, the problem here is not the pain. The problem is the action that was done to me, the wound. The pain is, is, is the natural consequence that wrong was done to me. The pain isn't the problem. I'm allowing God to minister to my pain. But now I've got to deal with the wound. And the way to deal with the wound, and God has commanded and told us, is about forgiveness. But I think we have so messed up the teaching of forgiveness that much of what we teach on forgiveness today is actually worthless. Because what I've heard is, at this point, you forgive them and forget. That's stupid. Not even God does that. Notice that when Jesus rose from the dead with his new glorified body, what was still on his body? The scars from the wounds. So every time he extends his hand to you, you know what he remembers? He doesn't forget it. He forgives. See, forgiveness has nothing to do with forgetting. And there's two parts of forgiveness that I don't think we understand. This first part is this. God has commanded that I forgive people for my sake. The Lord's Prayer. For, you know, Lord, help me. You forgive those who trespass against me as you have forgiven my trespasses against you. One of the things we are called is we are called to forgive people their trespasses. By the way, this form of forgiveness has nothing to do with you talking with the person who hurt you. This is a conversation between you and God, not between you and the agent. And this is the forgiveness that's commanded in, in Colossians, that we are to forgive as the Lord forgave us. By the way, you see this with Jesus on the cross. When he's being nailed to the cross is when he said, Father, forgive them. He did not grab the Roman by the collar and pull him up and say, I forgive you for pounding nails into me. That's stupid. That, is, that has nothing to do with bringing about healing. This is a conversation between you and your heavenly Father, and you go, God, they meant it for evil, and it hurts, 
and I forgive them as you have forgiven me. And that is a conversation that each of us needs to have related to those failures. So I began to learn, you know, I, I, I've had to have this conversation more than once with the Lord about those guys who mugged me. I didn't tell you the rest of the story. After I got up, another Matatu came up the road, which didn't thrill my heart to have another one coming. But this one was empty with, with a single driver, and he saw me, and here's the miraculous thing of God. The guy driving it was the cousin of my Kenyan boss. Amazing how he just happened to be the next one by. And he drove me over to the police where I called them. And he was telling me, I saw those guys walking down the road from where you were. And I know where two of them live. So we got to the police department. He explained to the police, you know, these guys that bugged him, I know where two of them live. Gave the names, told them where they lived. And the police did nothing. It's Ken. Whoever pays the biggest bribe, they get it. There was no justice. There, there, there was no, we're going to bring these guys to book for what they've done. You know, it's really difficult sitting there when they've gotten away with it and they should be facing justice to go, well, I want justice on these guys. And God's going, no. Are you willing to forget? As I forgave you? And that's where it comes back to, Lord, you are the judge. But I want to forgive them. By the way, you can pray this prayer if your pain has been ministered to. If you are saying, I forgive somebody something, and you've not been ministered to first, I don't think it's real. Because what's going to be in the back of your mind is, is that I've got, to, I've got to somehow get even or whatever. And oftentimes, this is what happens when we go forgive people. And we'll say to Christians, you know, you did this horrible thing to me, and I forgive you for what you did. That isn't forgiveness. That's moral one-upmanship. You know, I'm a gracious and compassionate. You, on the other hand, are nothing of that sort. That's why I can forgive you. And that, that has nothing to do with, with healing the wound. That's just perpetrating it more. So sitting in my pain and allowing God to minister, then stepping forward and saying, God, forgive them for what they've done. They meant it for evil. You will use it for God. And that is the first part of that. By the way, this forgiveness is for your sake. What it is doing is releasing the power of the offense over you. They meant it for evil. You know what? God uses that for good. God has the power over this thing, not the sin done against you. The sin done against you is not what defines you. You are defined by God, not by the evil that was done to you. And forgiveness allows you to be in a place to go, that is under God's control, and I have forgiven them before my Father.
and whether I ever see them or talk to them ever again, I'm at a place where I have forgiven them for what they've done. But then that leads to the next one. Having forgiven God, one of the next things that becomes necessary is, um, in Luke, Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, go to your brother and confront him. Luke 17. Here's the interesting thing. Some of the sins done against me, I can go to the person who sinned against me and I can confront them. But notice that I confront them after I have been ministered to and I have forgiven them. What do you think this is going to do to change the whole nature of the confrontation? You're not like a shark in the water smelling blood. You come before the person now with a great deal more concern for them than for you. Why? God's already ministered to you. One of the things that I see is that we don't confront each other over the sins done because uh, we do it badly. We jump in and accuse people and say things about their motives and you know, start attacking, and it's really we're taking a machete to go chop at them to go, I want you never to do this again. So I'm going to make it painful for you. As opposed to going, what you have done to me should not be done. Abimelech did this with Abram. You know, when he, in Sister Act 2, you know, when he was, you know, uh, saying she's my sister, and God comes to Abimelech at night and says, you're toast, buddy. Uh, you're, you know, you're, you're a dead man because you've got this woman. And he goes, Lord, you know, will, will you kill me, an innocent man? Because he, he lied to me. He said to me that was a sister. And God said, no, I kept you from sinning against me. And Abimelech the next morning gets up and comes to Abram and says, what have you done to me? You shouldn't do this to people. He doesn't call him a liar. He doesn't call him, you know, you're, you're, you're a, a piece of, you know, whatever. And, you know, he doesn't yell at him and scream at him. He goes, you shouldn't do this to me. I, 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 I didn't deserve this. And then Abraham explains, well, see, I thought you didn't fear God. Abimelech actually fears God. In many respects, far more than Abraham does. And... But Abraham was, was, was wrong in this matter, and God said, Abraham, you need to pray for him. And so Abraham, it's really an interesting twist and turn. Abraham prays for Abimelech to save him from the wrath of God. There is a whole difference of attitude in confronting somebody when God has already ministered to you than confronting them out of your pain. That, I believe, is a key difference here. Now my concern is for their well-being. And so I confront them. I explain to them what you've done. Here's what you did. And then, the last thing is this. And that is this. Here's the second part of forgiveness. Luke 17. If your brother sins against you, go to your brother and confront him. If he were conditional statement. If he repents, forgive him. The second phase of forgiveness is conditional. 
on their repentance. See, the confrontation is to place before them what they've done. If their response is, I've sinned against you. I should not have done that. Would you forgive me for what I've done? We're commanded to forgive him. For whose sake? For his sake. Because he has repented. What if he doesn't repent? What if he goes, oh, I meant to hurt you. And by the way, if I get the opportunity again, I will hurt you again. If you say to him at that point, I forgive you for what you've done, that is stupid. <laughs> it's evil, almost. You need to say nothing. Because the condition is, if he repents, if there's no repentance, what you walk away with knowing is, I'm dealing with an unsafe person. Sir, I have a question. You can't always confront the nope. agent, so then right. what happens? Well, if you cannot confront the agent, you stop at, you forgive for your sake. That's all the farther you can go. Sometimes they've already passed away. And they might have passed away, they've moved to another state, you can't, you can't get a hold of them. And you might say, God, if I ever get the opportunity with this person again, I would like to confront them and deal with them. But it might not be there. This is if that person is there and you've been ministered to, now to approach them for their sake. Why, why do you want to do this? For an opportunity for them on the other side to deal with their guilt. Because this is how the relationship gets on the pathway to being restored. It's not magic. All of a sudden, the See, let, let, let me explain something. Forgiveness is different than trust. Mm -hmm. We talked about this in our group. Trust, by the way, is earned. Right. Forgiveness is great. You can forgive someone without trusting them yet. That is where Jesus, or John the Baptist, pointed, you need to bear the fruit of repentance. And bearing the fruit of repentance will rebuild trust over time. It doesn't, it's black knight. Somebody cuts off your right arm, you say, wait a minute, you cut off my right arm. That isn't a good thing. You shouldn't be cutting off people's arms. And they go, uh, you're right, I, I was wrong. You forgive me, sure, I forgive you. And then you say, now here's my other arm, there's the sword, you know, have at it. That's stupid. It's going, uh, the trust is that you will never do this again. See, let's go to the other side of the equation. What is it like taking your guilt to God? Well, there's a similar pathway here. First thing for anyone with guilt is to confess and admit they did it. So by the way, when you confront the agent and you say you did this, the first thing you're, you're hoping for them is to go, you're right, I did this. I am not quite the good guy that you think I am. I did that to you. And that was wrong. I admit it. It was not what I should have done. That's confession. Followed by... And this is another one that we don't do, just like we don't do on the pain side. 
I don't think what we do is we ever sit in the damage we've done by our sin. I have a uh, simple illustration of this. Um, in Kenya, uh, they don't have, or they didn't have, they do now, but they didn't have disposable diapers. So all of our diapers for our kids were cloth diapers with safety pens. Wonderful invention, the safety pen. You know, be able to put two things. And we got these big honking safety pens, you know, so you could put it through the cloth. And my son John is about a year old, and he's sitting on the, you know, the table there, and I'm changing his diaper. And I take the, um, the safety pen, and I'm trying to get it through the diaper, and it's a little hard, and I'm pushing, and then it suddenly releases itself, and I harpoon my son. Oh. I jab that thing right into his hip, and I will never forget his face. He's sitting there enjoying half of the time of his life, and all of a sudden, this excruciating pain in his hip, and he looks at me, and he wasn't talking, but you could see what his face is. What have you done to me? <laughs> and I felt horrible. Fathers should not harpoon their kids. I felt terrible about it. And as I think about that thing, I say, oh, that is so bad what I've done that I made a commitment that day. Going forward, I would never put pens in that diaper without my hand. So I learned, stick my hand under, hold it together, and then I jab it through. Because if it goes through again, guess who I've got a harpoon? Me. I'll take that on me, not on my son. You know, part of the thing is, if we sit in the damage of our sin, what I've done to people, and I sit in that and allow myself to feel or experience the damage that I do when I say it'll change your view of you and of the circumstances. See, I think many of the reoccurring sins, you know, so you, you'll hear about these guys who abuse their wives. And they'll be confronted and they'll weep and then, sorry, I should never have hit you, I'll never hit you again. They make all these interesting vows. And two months later, they hit her again. And you go, why is it that they keep going back? And I believe part of that is they don't sit in the damage that they have done. And by the way, this is part of the discussion going on between the two. You know, when you do that to me, this is the damage it does. It communicates, I am not valuable. I am not significant. I'm no different than a dog if you kick her head. And for a woman to reflect to a man, your behavior that way, that's what that does to me. If the man allows himself to sit in his actions and the damage it does, you will soon discover whether he is a fool or he is someone who wants to walk with God. Because there is going to be a renewed effort on, I will never do that again. I will not do that damage to another human being. But what we don't do, like sit in our pain, we don't 
sit in the damage of our sin. We hate it. It's really uncomfortable. Because I get exposed for who I am. I'm a fallen human being. And I do bad things to good people. And that changes your view of yourself and going, wow, how do I how I need the work of God in me. It is at that point that the person on the side of guilt, having sat in the damage, can then repent. There's the difference between confession and repentance. Repentance is going. I am turning from this behavior, and I will never do it again. Repentance is turning 180 degrees. I'm not going that way. See, how do we come to Christ? We confess, God, I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. I have thumbed my nose at the creator of the universe. I have willfully and defiantly walked away from the fountain to get life on my terms. That's tragic, and it's evil. That's me. I've done that. And what do we do? God have mercy. I turn from that. I want to turn from being willfully defiant to being someone who will trust you. Change me. And we repent. See, what I'm trying to do in this illustration is to say, the sin that has come between these two people, God's intent is to redeem relationships. To redeem us. And it's not going to be that you have one session and all of a sudden, particularly if it's a very painful sin done against you, that it will instantaneously make everything right. But as we both go to God, we can begin a process of restoration and redemption for both sides of the equation. And by the way, this is when they repent, now in Luke 17, you can forgive them for their sake. They get to taste in a physical reality grace from the out. I forgive them. I don't hope it against you. Will you remember it again? Undoubtedly. And when you, on the side of the victim, remember it, you can go back and say, God, what they did, that thing hurt, and it still hurts. Can you minister your comfort to me? Can you heal? Isaiah 61. End with this one. Um, this is the passage that Jesus pulled up in the synagogue on that Sabbath day. This, but Isaiah 61 has a verse in it that the Matthew, or the Luke, is it Luke or Mark, that doesn't have. It says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. Why did Jesus come? To bring redemption. 
And I love the fact that he says, he has sent me to bind up the broken hearted. That's why the gospel is much on that side of the equation as it is on this. And that the ministry of the cross is a ministry that binds up. There is a bond in God that heals the sin crushed soul. There is hope. God is at work to heal, to redeem, to forgive, to release. And our problem is, if we follow and deal with our pain on our own things, we are merely imprisoning ourselves in us. And it doesn't deal with the wound, it doesn't bring healing, it doesn't bring restoration. By the way, this does not happen a lot. Partly, I believe, because we as the church have not tended to, to address this. And we need to address it. And see the redemption of Christ in all of our relationships. What a difference. If with one another, we handled each other that we handled each other with a compassion. So, Matthew 7. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and ignore the log in your own? First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will be able to help your brother remove the speck from his. You know what the pattern is? we got to start on ourselves. And if I learn to do that for myself, then I will learn what is required to help my brother with what he's doing. And so we can begin that. And I do know this. All of you have been wounded. You've been sent against. And it's not a thing that God comes along and says, I'm going to deal with the 18,000 wounds that you've been dealt with. That's not how God works. He likes to go after one at a time. And I don't know what he might have brought up into your mind today and go, you know, here's, here's a wound you need to uh, take a look at and allow me to minister to you. Or there might be something that you've done to somebody that might be that God is calling you to say, I want you to sit in the dangerous that you did. How have you come? I have asked my wife for forgiveness. For my free advice. That wasn't good. I did. It's so easy to do this. So hard. 